Welcome to The Essential Rhythm, science-based natural history and human ecology of the North Atlantic seashore. This is episode 91, Horseshoe Crabs in Maine. It's that time of year again, early June, and my inbox has been busy with people emailing me about horseshoe crabs, wanting to know when they'll show up and where they can see them. And while I do pay attention to stuff like this for a living, horseshoe crabs are pretty cagey, at least in this neck of the woods. So I apologize in advance for not giving you all straight answers. First, let's clarify. Horseshoe crabs, scientific name Limulus polyphemus, are not actually crabs in the strictest sense of the word. They're in the same phylum as crabs, arthropoda, the jointed-legged exoskeleton-bearing invertebrates, a group that includes crustaceans and insects. Horseshoe crabs are included in the same group as spiders, ticks, and scorpions, the chelicerata. Their distinguishing character is the chelicerae, a pair of appendages found in front of the mouth, basically legs that are involved in feeding, or stinging prey if you're a spider. Their exoskeleton, aka shell, is made of a carbohydrate called chitin, closely related structurally to cellulose. It functions like the shell of many other familiar marine arthropods. In order to grow, the shell must be shed periodically, as it does not grow with the soft tissue of the animal inside. Horseshoe crabs reach maturity between 9 and 10 years of age and presumably stop shedding at this point. But before that, they shed at least once, if not more, a year. There are four species of horseshoe crab in the world one here on the east coast of North America, and three others found in coastal Indo-Pacific waters. Our local horseshoe crab ranges from here in the Gulf of Maine all the way down to the Yucatan and spends most of its time in relatively shallow water out on the continental shelf. They require soft sediment because they use that horseshoe-shaped cephalothorax to plow through the sediment on the bottom searching for food, which can be any small animal they find, clams, worms, small crustaceans, and any other edible organic matter they can scavenge. And just like most of us can use our noses to know when something delicious is around, they find their food using chemosensory receptors on their legs. They don't have teeth, but they can eat crunchy things like clams because they have specialized structures for grinding their food. The middle of their underside, where all of their legs come together, is called the nathobase. And it sort of looks like that terrible pit in the desert in Return of the Jedi, a circular band of stiff hairs all pointing downward towards the mouth in the center of the ring. These hairs help break the food up as it moves into the digestive tract. They also have a gizzard, a muscular organ that comes before the stomach, which further grinds up food. These structures enable them to exploit a wide range of food resources, which may be a factor in their longevity. While individual animals may live up to 20 years, the group as a whole dates back to 450 million years ago in the fossil record. And the first fossil recognized in the genus Limulus is 148 million years old. In an evolutionary sense, these animals have to be doing something right. We see them primarily when they come into the intertidal zone to breed, which happens this time of year, May and June. Here in this part of Maine, the northernmost edge of their breeding range, they make their way up tidal estuaries and bays, seeking quiet, warm water. In many parts of their east coast range, they're strongly cued to lunar cycles and make their breeding migration on full and new moons, as those are when the highest tidal ranges occur. Here, the cue seems to be more linked to water temperature. If the water remains cold, it doesn't matter if the moon is full or not. Egg-bearing crabs, 
which we typically call female, release a pheromone, a chemical signal that they are ready to lay their eggs. In sperm-producing individuals, what we typically call male, respond by flocking to the female, mobbing her in an attempt to be the one to successfully attach himself to her shell so that he can be in position to fertilize the eggs when they're laid. Horseshoe crabs employ external fertilization. The eggs are laid into a nest excavated in the sediment, and then the sperm is deposited on top of them. Oftentimes, the males who are unsuccessful at attaching to the female will continue to hang around anyway. These satellite males will try to get some of their sperm into the nest even if they aren't in the perfect position. But because of external fertilization, research shows that they can fertilize as many as 10% of the eggs anyway, which is a lot better than 0% when you are talking about passing your genes on. If you're lucky enough to time your visit to an estuary or bay where these animals are found, this is the drama you will observe. We'll pick up next week with more of the unique attributes of these unusual seasonal visitors. This has been episode 91 of The Essential Rhythm, written and produced by me, Sarah O'Malley. The show is produced on Wabanaki land. Did you know you can find this show as a podcast? Go to weru.org to learn more. The theme music is Lightstream by the artist Sid Hartha, used by permission through Creative Commons. Thanks for listening and join us next week. <laughs>